All right, welcome to Here for the Health of It. My name is Dr. Randy Kloss. I'm here with Dr. Tom Stetson, and we are exposing Columbia, South Carolina to the local movers and shakers in our community. And we talk about business and health, and we are excited to introduce the guest for today. It is Nate Davis. He was a fifth-round Chicago Bulls draft pick in 1977. He went to the University of South Carolina, and then he spent several years playing professional basketball in Spain. And he refers to himself as the most famous American ever to play basketball in Spain. So he has a lot of good stories, a great guy, big in our community. And without further ado, here he is. Here, 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 hit the acapella. Here. We're here for the health of it. For the health of it. All right, welcome to Here for the Health of It. We're with Nate Davis today. He is a professional basketball player, and he's going to tell us all about his time in the league and traveling all over the place playing basketball too, it sounds like. So right. Thanks Thank for, you. Thanks for being on. Thank you for having me. Thank you for having me. I, um, um, my name is Nate Davis. I grew up here in Columbia. I uh, graduated from Oakland High School. I'm um, just an old farm boy. My grandfather had a farm on uh, North Main Street and, and um, off of uh, Brockton Road, they call it, back in, in those days. And um, I didn't know anything about sports. The only thing I knew about was running behind cows and horses and running behind pigs and chickens and, you know, during that time. And um, I started out basketball um, very late. I was 16 years old when I started playing basketball. You know, I heard that uh, my cousin Harrison, he played basketball in uh, Winston-Salem, North Carolina. He was a high school All-American. I heard about him through uh, my aunts and uncles. And uh, so I called my dad. And I said, Dad, you know, I would love to go to Winston-Salem, North Carolina to see Harry and Joe. Those are my, like, brothers, you right, know, right. but they was my cousins. I looked up to them. Mm-hmm. So I begged him. I begged him, man. I mean, I actually begged him. So he let me go up there three summers, and the rest was history. My cousin Harry took me under his wing, you know, and taught me everything about basketball, okay. you know. And uh, they... Uh, they were like brothers to me. I mean, blood brothers, you know. And wow. plus, his mom was my dad. They were sisters and brothers. Yeah, yeah. And, so, and how tall were you at that time? I was, I was like six two, at sixteen years old. Wow. I was six two, and uh, between between the sixteen and nineteen, I grew a couple of inches. But I didn't know that I could jump, you know. But when I was running around the cows and the pigs and, you know, when they jump out, you know, when they get out of the fence, I would jump over the fence, you know, not realizing that I had leaping ability, right. you know, running behind those cows to make sure that they don't go and eat the um, the stuff that's in the field that my grandfather had planted, like, uh, you know, cabbages and stuff like that and tomatoes, you know. So, um, so I ended up um, coming back home during the summer and hooking up with a lot of uh, players at Oakland High School. And um, I met uh, a great principal at Alcorn Junior High School, you know, Mr. Ralph Snipes. I, don't, I can't forget those guys. Yeah. They, they helped yeah. me a lot. 
I came back home and he said, you can't play for our team, Nate. You're too good. I'm like, what you mean? He said, you're too good. I'm going to call the high school coach, Les Evans, and maybe you can play for the junior varsity team. I was in the ninth grade. Yeah. And I couldn't even play for the ninth grade team. Wow. So Les Evans came over. They talked and came over every day, picked me up, put me on the junior varsity team. And he said, Nate, you can't play for the junior varsity team. You're too good. We're going to put you on the high school team at ninth grade. Wow. And at ninth grade, I was a starter. I started the first game as a ninth grader and was the leading rebound and block, block shot at 6'4". I was 6'4 then. And as a, as a freshman. Wow. And so. And what are, you, what are you now? How tall are you now? I'm 6'4 and a half. How are you? 6'4 and a half. So I ended up playing three years for Coach Evans. And my senior year in high school, we were undefeated, regular season, and we uh, we won the state championship against Militant High School. They were 54 and all, and we wow. beat them at the uh, Coliseum. And then all of a sudden, Bobby Crimmins, Frank McGuire was the coach then. Bobby Crimmins came to my locker room. I was tying my shoes, and he just showed up like Flash Gordon, like you do. <laughs> and I'm like, Bobby Crimmins, I was shaking, man. And Bobby said, Nate, we want to offer you a full ride at University of South Carolina. And I was like, a full ride? I'm like, I'm sitting there, man, in shock. Because I was getting ready to go to the Army. Yeah. Because I was an Army guy. You know, in my mind, that's where I wanted to go. And so I had a full ride. And then I ended up going to Fort Jackson. I was sneaking to go to Fort Jackson to go into the Army. Cause I didn't think I was college material, you know. I had, I had pretty good grades, but you know, back then in those days, everybody went into service. Yeah. So my high school coach, the assistant coach, George Glenn, who was a famous coach here in Columbia, I don't know how he found out that I was at Fort Jackson, and he got me out of the training room. I was in my undershorts. <laughs> he pulled me out and he said, "You going to Carolina?" He drugged me out of there. He said, you're going to Carolina, and you're going to be a starter, and you're going to be a great ball player. You're going to get drafted. You're going to play for Chicago Bulls for a while. And after that, I don't know what you're going to do, but you're not going in the Army. And it happened. That's amazing. I ended up playing four years as a starter for Carolina. I got drafted fifth round for Chicago Bulls. I played a little while for Chicago Bulls. And, and then I ended up going to Spain for 12 years. That's, that's that story. And then they just voted me a few years ago that I was the Michael Jordan of Spain. I was leading scorer four years in a row. And I just ended up loving it with my ex-wife. You know, I mean, my late wife. And it was just great. Uh, my kids grew up there. When I got there, I was the only African-American in the league in 78, 1978 now. This is, wow. Yeah, right. at that time. A different role. And they would, they treated me so well. They gave me a nickname. They called me E.T. What what that stand for? Extraterrestrial. <laughs> the yeah. They called me Kangaroo because I jumped like a kangaroo. And then they called me Kucha Kente. That was the book that came out with Alex Haley back in the day called Roots. I don't know if y'all got it. I saw that movie, that. yes. And uh, they would give me those nicknames all the time. But I was flattered yeah, because... Yeah. You know, I'm like, okay, that's that's all right. I'm flattered. But I have to tell you this story. 
and then we can go on to something else. I was in Barcelona. We just had lost to Barcelona by a few points, and I was coming through the tunnel, and these kids, they ran up to me, and they were touching me like a god, you know, they were all, you know, they were just touching my face. One kid came up to me and rubbed his hand and thought that my color would come off, right? <laughs> and I'm like, no. And they was pulling my hair, and and I'm like, and, you know, I'm just flattered, and you know, they're like, hey, they said we never, we never seen an African American before, a live one. And I said, what? It was about six or seven kids. I said, oh, well, go ahead and touch, you know, hold me, whatever. I said, I'm just a different skin color. My hair is just a different texture, but go ahead, you know. And then they circle around me like the wagon wheels, like in cowboy movies, right? And they said, well, you're looking for your tail, mister. Where's your tail? You know, I said, no, I don't, I don't have one. No, no, you lying, mentita. You know, that's, that's the word in, for lies, you know. And I said, I got to prove it? He said, yes, you got to prove it. So I pulled my shorts down. <laughs> and I they jumped around like they, was in, like they had the Holy Ghost spirit. No you know, they're like, ah, you know. <laughs> So it was it was crazy fun. I will cherish those moments over there. You know, I had a great 12 years and my late wife, she we had a great time. They treated us like kings, you know, kings and queens, man. My boys was in private school and um, they paid for it and I had a beautiful home. So I go back, I go back every couple of years and, uh, you know, do those things like that. So what city were you in in Spain? What, what um, did you play for? When I first got there, I was in San Sebastian. Okay. And then I ended up in Valladolid, Spain. And then I ended up in um, Santiago, Spain. And then I went to Foral at the end of my career. That was the best time in Foral. I had a great time. I have a lot of friends in Canary Islands. I mean, I have them all over. So. Um, I have an opportunity, possibility to go back and coach as a development coach to um, this team in Alicante, Spain. They want me to come over and, and help their players and fundamentals and stuff like that. And, hey, we talked, we had a conference call just like this, you know, a Zoom call. And um, they offered me, they said, well, we'll pay for your house, give you a car and pay you $1,200 a month. Let's see, because I'm retired anyway, you know. And, you know, that's that's a great package, you know. I mean, you can't beat that for, sure. it's like vacation for me, you know. So I retired from basketball. I retired from FedEx, you know, and, and, and then I get Social Security because I'm I'm 60, over 60. So, so right now I'm just waiting for the call. Yeah. But, you know, the COVID has been a problem. Right. But Spain is opening their borders June 1st. Oh, nice. So I should hear from them. I talked to my buddy, uh, Javier, he, we call and I called him and he said around May, middle of May, they'll get, like get back in contact with me and stuff like that. Yeah. And, and awesome. so if you were to look back at your career and mm -hmm. your life mm -hmm. and you've been on different teams and around a lot of different people and in different countries, right. who would you say is the greatest influence on your life? The greatest influence on my life, number one is Jesus Christ my God, who I worship, is my greatest influence because that's where I became a Christian, you know, for the first time in, in my life, in, in Spain. Spain. Wow. I met um, some missionaries in San Sebastian, John and Linda Miller. They was building a church in the Basque country, 
in the south of uh, San Sebastian. And he, I met him in the uh, post office one day, and he said, Nate, oh, you Nate Davis, you the new American. I said, yes, I am. And so I met him, and we met at his house. I went to church with them, and then he invited me and my wife for dinner, and we sit down at the table, and he got his Bible, and he went to Book of John, and it changed my life. I accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior at that time, and never been the same since then. And see, I was a ball player. I had an ego, big head. I'm Nate Davis. I'm University of South Carolina. I'm a bull. I play, got drafted. And I'm like, this guy going to show me God? I'm already a God, you know? You know? And and it humbled me down, and, and he, it gave me a good perspective of what life should always be, you know? And I accepted Christ, and, um, and that, that's was my most important, one of my most important things, but my coaches from high school, Coach Les Evans, stuck by me every, when I was a kid. He never gave up on me. You know, I had to get permission for to play basketball. He had to go to my dad, yeah. ask my dad, could I play basketball? You know, so he, he was brave to come to my house <laughs> and ask my father, could your son play basketball for me? And my dad said, yes. You know, and I thought he was going to say no. So. Why would he say no? Because he wanted you to work at the farm with him? He, he wanted me to work because in those days, back when my father grew up, they didn't believe that African-Americans can play basketball and get paid for it or play any sports and get paid for it. But in the family, they didn't think anyone in our family could do that. I'm the only one in my family, the whole entire Davis family that went pro basketball in that family. I had a cousin who went to uh, Green Bay Packers, but I'm the only one that played professional basketball in the NBA for a little while and then went overseas to play. And so, but my grandfather played in the old Negro League, you know, yeah, yeah. and then my father played a little baseball sandlot <clears throat> around the neighborhood and stuff like that. So, but it, they believe in going to work, wor working 40 hours a day, but I was different, you know? And I was like the black sheep of the family. I had a different perspective of life. Yeah. I didn't want to work with my hands. I wanted to work with this. Yeah, yeah. And me and my father bumped heads a lot, you know? I had to prove to him that I could do it. So, make it short, I said, Mom, I got a game with Michigan. University of Michigan, we're on national TV at Carolina. Make sure you cut the TV on and make sure dad is sitting there because he never seen me play in high school. I was high school All-American, you know? So I had 33 points on national TV against University of Michigan and they were ranked top, you know, during that time. And that's the first time he saw me play. And they gave me an interview after the game, and I was the most valuable player. And your dad saw that. And my dad saw that. And, I, and you know, my mom said, did he see? I said, Mom, did he see the game? Did he see the game? Yeah. I said, what did he, what did he do? Oh, he just cracked a smile. <laughs> and that was it. Yeah. Because so, I was representing his name. It was yeah, on my back. That's cool. You know? So that brings yeah. me into my next question okay. for you, which is about future generations. Okay. 
you and your father bumped heads, what would your advice be to future generations, your children or grandchildren or great-grandchildren even? Well, I have five children. I have two boys and three girls. They're grown and they have their own children. I, I taught my kids to do what they love to do, but do it in a way where it will help you build your character and build you as a person, as a good person. So my kids, I have five children right now, and I have one son who is a top manager of AT&T in, in Duluth, Minnesota. I have a son that is a CPA in, in um, Atlanta, Georgia. I have a daughter who is a um, top nurse down in um, the Veteran Hospital in Columbus, Georgia. And I have uh, a daughter who is a, a top lawyer, you know, paralegal lawyer in, in, um, in Atlanta also. And then I have uh, my baby girl, she's 21 years old. She just had a baby. She is gonna be a midwife and I don't know what that is and what she wanted to do that for but she's getting ready to graduate in, in a year from now. So- Good for her going in, going in a different direction. In like a different you direction, you know, a midwife. <laughs> I said midwife. So I taught them the values of life and I taught them how to, to work and stay on a job because I worked for FedEx for 15 years and I retired and took the early out and I played basketball for 12 years. So I only had really two jobs in my whole life. Right. You know, and so they really looked at me. We have to be an example for our children. Yeah. You know, because they're they're looking at you. You know, they're mimicking what you're doing. If you're an alcoholic, you say, "Hey, my dad drank." Well, I'm gonna drink too. Right. And what what can you say? You know. So I ended up trying to be an example of five kids, but I raised eight more boys because I got married again after my late wife passed away. So I had eight boys in the house that weren't my natural kids, but I treated them like they were my own sons. Yeah. You had and 13 children in your home? I had, well, I got married twice, grown, so. Yeah. Oh, so they were grown and so, then. No, they were babies. When I married my second wife, she had four kids in the house. She had two, her two nephews and her two sons, and they were uh, like 11, 12 years old. And my boys were there too. And we all had a, I had a six bedroom house at the time and I raised them up and gave them everything like my sons, you know, and to, to this day, they call me pop, yeah. you know, that's special when you have a kid and you're knowing that it's not your real son and he call you dad. Yeah. It takes a special person to do that. You know, that well back and back to the midwife thing. We had both of our children at home. Really? And wow. It was incredible and my wife says there's no place she would rather do it than at home and the way that she did it and our midwife that mm -hmm. we had can't say enough good things about her too wow at the that's most, awesome uh, maybe difficult time in a person's life when they're giving birth mm -hmm. and it's physically difficult <laughs> right. time in their life they're the person there encouraging you and supporting you absolutely and i think there's a big trend moving towards Toward that, that right. where women are saying I want to be at, at home. home. I want to do it naturally. Mm -hmm. I want to move in that direction. Right, right. And in fact, in Canada, where when we tried to get a midwife, there mm -hmm. was such a high demand for it. Wow. They wow. weren't available. Wow. People were on waiting lists for midwives. Wow. That Now, did she get in a tub? Oh, yeah. 
With the water? Both both babies were born <laughs> underwater. And <laughs> came shoot. Yeah, our first one came came mm-hmm. out and mm-hmm. had a super long umbilical cord, and it was mm-hmm. underwater, mm-hmm. spinning her around and un, undoing the umbilical cord. Um, but it was great. You could see a difference when she was in water versus when she get out of the water. Right, because she's used to she there for nine months. The baby's there for yeah, nine months. That's so, right. So they're used. Easy the customs natural there. transition. Natural. Yeah. Man, which is is a a good segue into health. That's a great segue. Um, I'm curious. So, so you you somewhat your body kind of developed itself with farming, right? Then, when you got into college Mm -hmm. and and even military type stuff, what sort of regimen did you go through to kind of physically prepare yourself to stand out at a collegiate level? And then, as you went on professionally, was there anything any regimen that you went? Um, Yes, I um, I ran track in high school. My coach, uh, George Glimp, um, I had to get physically ready for track because I high jump. I was a high jumper. Ah. And then I ran the 220 and I ran the 100 and I ran the 440 relays. And we trained every day sprints. We lift weights a little bit, you know, on our legs. And because um, I, um, I held the high jump record in the state at 6'7 and 3'4. And that, that held for 35 years. Yeah, I was I, I was a leaper in school. You know, I was a leaper. So my stand in shape was I was young. God gave me ability to run and jump and I didn't do too much weights, you know. Yeah, yeah. I, I was I just had a natural built body. My 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 father was naturally built. I mean, he didn't lift weights and but you, you, you think he did. My grandfather was six seven, three hundred pounds, all muscle. You know, my great great grandfather, you know, same thing. We all came from Native American families, you know. My great 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 grandfather was six eight, you know, beautiful white man. He had a plantation up in Jenkinsville, South Carolina. That's where my home, that's where I'm from. Okay. You know, originally my family was there, you know, that plantation is still there. So my dad was, you wouldn't believe he had Dark blonde hair and blue eyes. How about that? Really? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And my mother was the dark type of African American Indian, you know, Cherokee in the mix. She was her skin was darker. Yeah. So our complexion was taken off to her. And uh so so Indians can run. <laughs> yeah. You know, they run they yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you know, we always <laughs> from back in the day from Geronimo. I didn't, expect, I didn't expect you to say that. I was all the way back from then. They could run. Yeah, they they run all day. So physically, I give the glory to God because He gave me a physical, great physical body and a good back to jump. My vertical leap was forty five. Yes. You know, I could all this. I got pictures. I got all this over the ground. You know, I mean, I'm like that much from the top of the backboard. So. So, but when I got to Spain, before Spain, um, Carolina had a regiment. We had to train a lot. Frank McGuire was really into running miles and, you know, getting into the weight room a little bit, but lifting light because, you know, I was a great shooter. So I didn't want to build muscle. I just wanted to build tone. So we ran a lot. And, um, but my greatest achievement is when I went to Spain because I ran 10 miles up in the mountains in combat boots three times a week. 
three times a week, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. And I would do 100 jump shots. I would run sprints after the 30 miles up in the mountains. I would run sprints, and then I'll jump rope for about an hour. I did that for about nine years. And when the games was on the line in the fourth quarter, guys were tired. I wasn't, yeah. you know. And that's how we won a lot of games, you know, through through that regimen. Yeah. And some of my players wouldn't do it. They, they said, no way, you'll kill us. Yeah. You know, they, I said, y'all come and train with me. He said, no, no, we, you, you'll kill us, you know. Yeah. So so that's how I, I trained and uh, kept my body right. toned. And I ate the right food, you know? I was wondering, when you moved to Spain, was that an adjustment? With oh, the food was awesome. Food and- the food was great. I never had lamb until I went to Spain. And I lived off of lamb, and I lived off of beef and, and stuff yeah. like that, chicken and stuff like that. But, man, I love the lamb. It's a, it's a restaurant on Main Street called Brazil, Cowboy, Brazilian Cowboy. Yeah, something. yeah. And I'm like, I go in there. The food is a little salty, <laughs> you know, I, I can't have salt that much, you know, but my regimen was really hard. I, I punished my body and I punished my body to be the best basketball player in Spain at the time. Yeah, it was, it was good training because I lived in the mountains and I ran the mountains a lot near the water, ran on the beach and yeah. stuff like that. Yep. And you and you've got a chiropractic story too now. Oh man, we were yeah. talking about Dr. Sydney and your oh, experience yeah. with her. So oh, maybe yes. break. Um, tell mm-hmm. us about that a little bit. Well, I had a prior major... to Dr. Sydney, there wasn't any chiropractic, right? Well, I or went to a few of them. I'm not going to name them, sure, sure. But okay. I went to a few of them. But she discovered something that they didn't discover. You know, they didn't discover that I had a little arthritis in my neck. She discovered that. Gotcha. You know, yeah, and yeah, she's yeah. working through working with me through that. And I went to like one, two, maybe three or four, but I had a major motorcycle accident um, three years ago. I was hit by a tractor trailer on my Harley Davidson Road King at 55 miles an hour. And I'm here to talk about it. So I know that there is a God, you know, and broke arm, broke leg. Um, But, you know, I had my helmet on. My helmet was torn up, but it never touched my head. Um, my vest was like a rag doll, pants torn all up, shoes busted up. And I, I made it through that and I was in pretty good physical shape, you know, and, um, and I went through rehab and, and everything. So I got over that. And then later on, I started having a little neck pain, but it did, you know, Dr. Sidney said it didn't come from the accident. You know, it's just arthritis. And when the arthritis is there, you may get a little pain here and there. Yeah. So over the years, the pounding and all of the workouts and all the physical that I did, you know, it built up. And that's where arthritis come from, yeah. you know, mostly. And uh, Which is very common, too, to right. see somebody get in an injury. Mm-hmm. And the imaging they get from that injury reveals issues that have been there for a long time that they didn't know about. Absolutely. I can't count the time that I've jumped on my back, on that spinal cord, on that neck. Just imagine, I mean, playing 20 years of basketball and I'm leaping all the time, all that pounding and pounding and pounding. So she discovered, um, she took the x-rays and she showed me exactly what was going on. I had the arthritis there because my neck... it clicks, you know, but she said that 
it's going to be like that. But she's working just to, you know, keep it normal. Like right now, I've been here, oh, God, what? I don't know, almost a year, yeah, I think. Close to it, right? Yeah. Coming up on that. Yeah. And I tell you what, I have felt so good, man. You know, I can tell. If I'm away from this place for a week, I can tell the difference, you know? So as long as I'm breathing, I'll be here, right. you know? I mean, right. hey, my Medicare paying for it. <laughs> so let them pay for it. I, I don't care. <laughs> so she really, and her technique is, is totally different from the others. Yeah. I'm getting my neck twisted, crack, 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 and my, you know, and I'm like, whoa, doc, hold up. I'm the, I'm walking out of there like this right here, you know, but oh, it, it'll be all right later on. But she has a special technique. She has a little, it's like a sculpture. Yeah. And I'm like, I like that, you know, and she'll hit back of here and she'll hit the spots that with a, arthritis are you know and and she'll do the back and i'm like and when i'm leave when i leave it's like it's like letting the air out of balloon i mean it's just you feel so relaxed yeah and then i'm on this uh vibrator plate right vibration yeah. plate yeah. yeah i've never been on one before yeah. until i got here you know, I'm like, <laughs> and my neck just shaking. I said, oh, man, I like this. You know, it's like the hula hula dance, you know. And, um, and what it's doing is it's giving something to help relieve the pressure off what's going on. And when she took the x-rays the first time, something like the neck was, wasn't. Pretty flattened out. Right. Yeah, and then it, after her treatment for about. Six months, I think, and then my it, my neck went back to normal. Yeah, it's lining up. It yeah, lined it lined it up. I'm yeah. like, man, cool this stuff. is awesome. This is cool, man. Yeah. She didn't have to twist my neck or nothing like that. She got a special. It's a special yeah. unique thing. Yeah. Could you explain a little bit about? Yeah. So she she uses very specific technique, which is really cool. So she'll, mm -hmm. you you feel it all the time where she's kind of touching your body, right? Neurological right. feedback. And then she uses that little instrument that's gentle. Yeah. You're a big guy, so you can take a lot. Right, right. Her little gentle force technique at the right spot at the uh, right time does exactly what it needs to to line things up. And she's got a drill bit. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. I'm like, oh, okay. Nice. <laughs> and it's fun, man. It's yeah. just so much fun. I can't wait, you know, when I come like once a week and I'm just ready to come. Yeah. Because it's just so much fun. It's like coming to have... Um, your toys, yep. you know, to fix on your cars, right, you know, right. and I come in and I'm happy and I'm leaving happy because I can feel the pressure. I can feel the neck is so much better. Yeah. So much. I mean, when I got here, I couldn't turn that thing, man. Range of motion. Yeah. Yeah. You know, now I can go all the way back here and I can go all the way back here. I don't feel any pain. Yeah. It's amazing. You know, so. If it's not broken, man, don't fix it. You keep coming. You keep coming. So, Doctor Sinning just she's just awesome, and she's got a great staff like family. too. Family, family, yeah, yeah. yeah it's a great which, staff. Which and... is a different philosophy that mm -hmm. a lot of people in America live by. They absolutely, think, absolutely. If I'm good enough, why would I keep doing it? Oh no. Or if it's 
if it's fine right now, maybe I'll quit doing all the things that were working mm -hmm. until they're not working right. anymore. Oh, no. Which is the difference between someone who's mm -hmm. focused on being an athlete right. and right. being your optimal self versus someone who's just good enough Abs or just absolutely. wants to be at a certain level. And she took my neck to, you know, everything to a level where the quality of life is so performance. Oh yes, in a while, yeah. I can walk two miles. You know, yeah. I don't have to worry about pain. I may get the little clicking because it's arthritis. It's right. going to be there, but it's limited than it used to be. It's not the same click when I first walked in the office. Right. You know, and I said, if I keep coming, maybe I may not never have. It may just be a little more yeah. less click. You know yeah. what I'm saying? So that's it. So that's that's the name of the game. Cool. And I, so I want to ask then about, mm -hmm. we, we haven't really touched on injuries yet, but okay. if you have a hockey player, a mm -hmm. soccer player and a basketball player, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. how would you rank them in toughness? <laughs> okay. A hockey player. It's, that is the toughest game. I agree with that. Wrong. That is the tough. I will rank them number one. Yeah. Okay. And injuries, because how in the world that you can stay on ice on blades? Butter knife. I can't even, I, I don't even know how to roller skate. And to do it with blades, sharp as those blades are, and then getting hit and the physical, I'll go with hockey first. Then you said football, right? I said soccer and basketball. Oh, hockey got it all the way. Yeah. Basketball. And then second. I mean, you got the girls that can play. I mean, come on. <laughs> the, the women are playing basketball. They don't get hurt that much. But hockey, man, you can get your neck broke. <laughs> That's true. I've seen. We got to get Nate to the ice rink. Man, I've seen, to go skating together. I've seen this guy. I've seen this guy hit the glass. It, it almost towed the stadium up, man. You can hear the vibrating. Like, whoa. And he's back doing it. I mean, he's, he's back on the ice. Because, you know, even though they got pads and stuff, but, man, I love hockey. You yeah. know, I love hockey. I mean, it is a physical game, and those guys are so fast. You got a guy coming at you about, what, 30, 40, 50 miles an hour, probably something like that. And he comes into you like that, and then he doesn't go down. He's back on the ice skating, ready to come back at you. That's 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 one of the greatest games in the world, and I tell you, hockey is number one. That's I pick awesome. hockey number All right. one. I love that. Answer. Oh yeah. Now it is the only sport. Oh that's yeah. Pads out of those three sports, right? So mm -hmm. yeah, we do have to factor in on the toughness side of it. The hockey players, I'd like to see them do it without pads. Oh god, that'd be that's called rugby. Right. <laughs> do you wear a cup? You wear a cup in basketball, or no. in soccer even? No. 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 Soccer, no protection. Yes. No protection. No. Yeah. We didn't wear a cup. No cup. No cup, no nothing. We wore knee pads sometimes just to keep the tension off our knees, but no cup Actually, at all. Actually, yeah, what do you think of all the basketball players now with all the, I mean, they got arm sleeves, they got bands, they got leg sleeves. They're, I mean, it's it's like a, a catwalk nowadays. I think they are weak. This this next <laughs> this, generation. Yeah, oh, man, they're soft. Like Charles Barkley say, this, this generation is weak, and they make, Five times more money yeah. than the guys that played back Crazy. in the day. Crazy. You got a guy on the bench, the 15th guy. There's 15 players on the team. You got one guy. Don't even get in the game. You might not never. You might not even play that whole season. 
he's making 10, 15 million all a year. Right. You know, yeah. Jabbar, Dr. J was making only $800,000 a year or maybe a million, you know, as they went to the end of their career. Mm -hmm. But you got a guy 10 to 15 million on the end of the bench. You may not see action. And I'm like, yeah. wow, this is, this is sports. Yeah. This is sports, man. Just like uh, LeBron James. He made $34 million in salary, 90-something million dollars in tennis shoes contracts, and more in endorsements and right. stuff like that. Right. And I'm like, <laughs> when I went to Spain, my first contract was $20,000, and I was scared to go to the bank. I thought I was rich. That's right. Yeah. It was $20,000, a house and a car. And I looked at my wife, and she looked at me, and she said, we finally got rich. Tax-free. It was tax-free then. $20,000 in 1978. We thought we were millionaires. Right, right, yeah. We didn't have no bills. Our credit scores were at 800. Man, we were living a life. You know, it was a dream. And then we looked back and said, $20,000? We were fools. One of the best athletes in the world. In the world. Sport. Right. And and you're making $20,000. But that was the time. Yeah. You know, that was the time. And that was a lot of money for Spain because Spain was not a very rich country when it comes to sports. Right. In football, it was. But not in basketball, you know. So we, we, we had a lot of fun with that, yeah. you know. So, a lot of fun. So in closing then, mm -hmm. one more question. If right. you look at Colombia mm -hmm. and you've lived in different areas of the world, mm -hmm. what would you say should be improved in Colombia, in our city? Okay, that's a good question. I, I've been in nine different countries throughout my career playing basketball. And what should be improved here in Colombia? Man, that's kind of hard because they have done a lot of, a lot of stuff here. Um, ah, that's going to be a tough one. Well, what brought you back here? So you could have picked anywhere. You've been living here now. What, what do you like about it? Yeah, or, yeah, that's a good yeah. question. Well, Soda City Market is my favorite. Yeah. Like the first of the month, you go down, you you get to taste all the food and all the the that vendors, and, stuff, and yeah. that is fun. We do that. Um, most of the time, not all the time, but most of the time, uh, the music is good. And I love, um, I love the grand, the grand is good because when I first got here, um, I didn't go around that much. My fiance, she took me around to see all the place. Cause I've been gone ever since 1977. Yeah, yeah. I just got back here three years ago. I would come visit my mom and my dad and I'm going back to Atlanta. I wouldn't even look around. I wouldn't go anywhere. But um, the music, it's a lot of good music here. A lot of great restaurants right now. Right. You know, I go on Main Street, man, and you can eat really well. Yeah. Um, to me, Columbia is home. I grew up in these streets. I played basketball in these streets, you know, Booker T. Washington. When Booker T. Washington was to school, high school near um, USC campus, I grew up in that area in Eau Claire and this is home. I, I don't see too many changes that need to be done because I think the, the governor and the mayor and city council have done an incredible job, yeah. you know, and I go out into Lexington. This is still, it's beautiful out there. And I go out to Blackwood. It's beautiful. But Columbia, 
it's it's just home. When I get here, it's home. I love it. I feel comfortable. You know, I, I used when I was a kid, I used to run these streets, man, and and and, and have fun. I, I don't if if it's gonna need an improvement, I don't know what, what we would need. I have right. to think about that. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's cool to see all the expansion they're doing with the bait the baseball stadium and that whole area. Right. Now the baseball stadium's great. Carolina, Carolina, Colonial, Colonial Life Center is great. Uh, the football stadium has been expanded. Um, if they can put here, for example, a cheesecake factory. I thought they had one here one time. I thought they had one here one time. Yeah, I thought they had one. It might have been in Atlanta. <laughs> yeah. Probably been in Atlanta. Yeah. I thought they had one near California Dreamer. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. I thought that I thought that was one before California got there. I don't know about that. Yeah, yeah. But right now, the way I see Columbia, it's a perfect place for me. You know, I grew up here, but you know, I love Florida, Florida and yeah. Florida is going to be my probably my destination after I leave Columbia. But I'm not sure yet because I may end up going to Spain, Spain coach, for and yep. for a little bit, and uh, and then I probably go to Florida, like um, uh, Atlantic Beach. I love Atlantic Beach, yeah. and I, you know, I kayak, you know, and I paddleboard. Yeah. I'm, you know, I I have like like Lake Murray. I've been all over that lake paddleboarding, you know, and I have my life jacket on. I can't swim, but I have my life jacket on, <laughs> and I just go at it, man. You know, I just figured my fiance will save me. You know, she loved me that much. She'll save me, right? right? Sure. She might just say, "Well, they, yeah, I'll find somebody else." <laughs> but that's just that's just fun. But yeah, I uh, I love it. I love Columbia. This is where it all started, man. You know, well, we appreciate you. Thank uh, you. Uh, thank you for oh, sharing with us. Oh, this has been fun. This has been fun. This is nothing new. I've been doing this all my life. I do it in Spain all the time. When I was a leading scorer over there, and and I'm in the Hall of Fame over there. I'm in the uh, the museum over there. They have a ten. They have a like a ten by ten picture in the museum over there. Me and um, they got me on a stamp there and um, and for all. So you know, I, I I've been blessed. I thank God for all the all the things that He has given me the opportunity and the body and the mind and the soul to play basketball. And basketball has been great in my life and. I have uh, given back to the neighborhood, you know, I've coached, I coached in, in, in Atlanta for 20, 25 years. You know, I had, I, I had my, my son and, yeah, yeah. and, uh, and they had their friends and they were six years old and I coached them until they were 18, until they graduated. And we lost one game out of all those years, yeah. one game, but I did it on the church, you know, it was a church that I was going to and I just was in the, athletic department and I um, I taught those kids how to play basketball. I went to the jails and got a, made a basketball team out of out of kids that were bad. bad kids, yeah. They said kids are not bad, but you got some bad kids, yeah. you know? Yeah. And the police department called me and said, Nate, would, could you coach these kids? They got like five to 6,000 hours of community service. But if you can help them, we would cut all their community service out. You know, we'll just get rid of all of it. You know, if you can just teach them to go back to school, a lot of them dropped out of school, and I taught them about life, and I shared my my story with them, 
Because the first day of practice, I was so disrespected. Man, I uh, I put him in a circle and I talked to him a little bit. And I said, well, let's, let's have a prayer before practice. They turned their back on me. And guys, man, they turned their back. So I didn't, I didn't say anything. So what I did was I went on and prayed, you know. And after that, about, about a month or two, you know, I just kept doing the same thing over and over. And then the mothers would come and see what we we're doing. And uh, I just trusted God and all I was doing, you know. Then all of a sudden, I went to practice one day and I said, who want to pray today? Kid lifted up his hand. And then the next day, another kid lifted up his hand. And then another, you know, it just kept going on and on and on. So at the end of everything, that program for about six months, these kids went back to school, got their degree. Some went to college. Some of these kids was into drugs and they stopped doing drugs. And the mothers came to me crying. I said, what, what did you do to my son? I said, it's all God. You know, God, I'm just a messenger because your kids saw me and they knew that I was real. I gave them love that maybe you couldn't give them, even though you love your kids, but they, I got into their minds and their souls that they can be better than what they are. You, you were living the plot of Coach Carter and the Mighty Ducks. Oh, oh, okay. <laughs> have you seen the, Have you seen those movies? I've seen those yeah. two movies. I didn't think I didn't think of that. That's that's so cool. That's and and the impact that a coach can make on a person's life too can right. last forever. Forever, and but I needed God's help. I needed to stick to my program and believe what God can do because His Spirit had to change their hearts. They were they were hardened. They had no love. They had no fathers, right. and I was like a big father brother to them and they would come to practice hungry they had nothing to eat they slept out all night they're homeless they have they didn't have anything so i would take them to a buffet and i would sit back and i tell you what they almost ran these folks crazy man they ate like crazy (laughs) you're talking about 12 players 15 players at a buffet so it's they good. looked at me and I got the respect and um it was it was it was it was an amazing journey for me. And they played great basketball. Yeah. They were great players. You know, they were great players. So I share that story when I do my talk in church, certain groups and youth and stuff like that. I share that and so it, it, it it's been a, a great life for me and I yeah. thank God and um, I'm so happy to be here to share it and thank God for Dr. Senior. Yeah. She's a miracle worker. She's got healing hands. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, we appreciate it. Thank you. All right. Thank you. You're welcome. We're here for the health of it. For the health of it.